0: Untitled Beatles Podcast. Gotta ask you, TJ, have you entered the Great Beatles Baking Sweepstakes?
1: The great Beatles baking sweepstakes, I've been prepping for that all my life. Tell me more. <laughs> well, you you bake
0: something Beatlesque or beetle shaped or whatever, and you, you submit it, you take a photograph of it, you submit it to Beatles.com, and you can win a variety of prizes, TJ. Yellow Submarine Jello Molds, Sgt. Pepper Cookie Cutters, Let It Be Sugar Tins, Maxwell's Silver Pan Scraper, Helter Skelter Red Food Coloring.
1: just call me let it be sugar tits <laughs> you don't call me that i sure did got it
0: i'm in my i'm in a jerky boys tribute prank call band
1: <laughs> hey jerky <laughs> yeah hey you crazy bastard how you doing yeah who's this what do you say there bottlenose oh who is this it says frank Frank Rizzo. Um. Yeah. I. I was the kid. As much as I was. I mean. I was kind of a prankster. I mean. I. You know. <laughs> um. I, I. I was the kid who felt that prank calls were mean and intrusive. A lot of my friends prank called. I didn't feel good prank calling.
0: I'm with you on that. I. Yeah. I tried doing it once with my buddy Mike, and uh, yeah, it didn't go well. It didn't go well. And this is like when. <laughs> this is like when we were in our twenties. Oh no! I did it as a kid, but then I'm in a sketch group with my friend Mike, and he had this coworker that drove him crazy. (laughs) So he had me like call her up to prank call her about like you know his job stuff, and it like I didn't like doing it, so it didn't it didn't go well.
1: (laughs) In your twenties, Tony. (laughs) I'm
2: a loser. I'm a loser.
1: I, uh, I do want to tell you about the Great Beatles Bake Off, though. Um, I sometimes like to get baked to listen to the Beatles. So I've participated ah. since probably I was <laughs> 20, first time I got high. The first time I actually got high, this is a whole different episode, we'll save for another time. But I'll tell you the quick story. I just My high school girlfriend, who I'd stayed with in college, we'd just broken up. I was very, very depressed. And my um, uh, some of my friends were like... Uh, because I was the guy who didn't smoke pot in high school. Sure. I, I just I, I didn't. I, I was not into that. And then all my friends did, and it was after the breakup when they were trying to shake me out of my uh, breakup slumber, um, fill your eyes. They said, <laughs> uh, you should hear Sergeant Pepper High. I'm like, because they knew it had been like a favorite album of mine for 15 years. I'm like, well, okay. And that changed everything. So the Beatles were a gateway drug to me 15 years after I got into the Beatles.
0: Nobody gets addicted to LSD. It was invented by scientists. Ringo Starr just told me.
2: Okay. Let's
1: go drop acid with the Beatles. I'm so excited for today's episode. You tend to do more work on the pre-planning of the show than I do. Well, You throw out suggestions, and I just get excited about them. And this is one. I'm so excited about this. Before you even say what the episode is, Tony, I'm holding up the first way I heard it. This is my eight-track copy of this that lived in our car of the record we're going to talk about today. This is the first way I heard this with Dizzy Miss Lizzie" fading in, excuse me, fading out, then fading back up. Uh, roll over Beethoven, Hard Day's Night, Help. Every side ends with the song fading out. And then the click. And then it fades back up. The worst, a tracks I mean, they had that thick tape, so
0: the sound you get more bass or whatever. But fading out in between songs is the rudest thing ever. No it's one so mean. No one writes a song and says like, other than Helter Skelter and right. Strawberry Fields and Stereo Helter Skelter, Tony. Uh, Suspicious Minds, Stereo Helter Skelter. Thank you. <laughs> but no one really goes like writes a song like, oh, I think we'll just fade it out halfway through and then we'll bring it back up again. <laughs> what planet is? Talking about, on the Untitled Beatles podcast, we are talking this week about the Beatles. Hold on, it has two titles. Two titles. The original was uh, the Beatles at the Hollywood Bowl. Yep. Right, and then the reissue became the Beatles Live at the Hollywood Bowl, right?
1: Yes, the reissue apparently is a companion to the film that didn't feature this, the the, uh... These concerts, all that much. And uh, Ron Howard's name is on the revised cover artwork of this album when it was reissued. I don't. I, I, I love Ron Howard. We'll get yeah. into this a little later about uh, how horrible this cover is. Yeah. And about how it makes no sense. Let's get into the album, though, first, the original, <laughs> yeah. and then we'll get into the reissue. Another September 9th reissue, like 9909 when all the CDs came back out again. Oh. This came out 9916. So. It was a number nine dream again for the Beatles catalog. It was. Everybody had a wet dream.
0: Yeah. I think they even issued it on a nine track cassette.
1: (laughs) The songs fade out just a second longer. All right.
0: Well, it was the Beatles at the Hollywood Bowl released May 4th, 1977. As we're taping this, TJ, it's the 45th anniversary of this record. So that's kind of why we're talking about it today.
1: That's pretty neat. Uh maybe for the 50th they'll release it again with the original cover, which I love. The simple yeah. the, the the simple with the Hollywood Bowl background in gray and the tickets that were kind of fake. The Beatles' faces weren't on the original tickets, so those tickets are fakes on the cover, I think. Scalpers um, tickets. Sca- right, scalpers <laughs> tickets. Dude, it's like, what are you gonna spend your money on? Beatles at the Hollywood Bowl or the Miss Saigon tour? <laughs> what do you do? You get you get five hundred dollars to spend. Beatles love Miss Saigon, by the way. <laughs>
0: Didn't know that. I didn't know it either.
2: <laughs> Welcome to Dreamland. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: But yeah, so this thing came out. This this made it to number two in the states on the Billboard charts.
0: Yeah, it was uh, Hotel California and uh, Rumours were the two albums that were number one in May of '77.
1: You're talking the Fleetwood Mac version, not the Look at all these rumors Drop me every day day. Remember that one? Best friend said Going to his head Something We we talk about Rockwell a lot on the show It wasn't Rockwell, (laughs) but it was
2: Rockwell-esque Who sang it? The song is entitled Rumors And they are the Timex Social Club
1: (laughs) Of course I remember that obscure 80s song you brought up (laughs) That has nothing to do with the Beatles
0: Well, it did reach number one in the UK, TJ. So there you go. And what's funny is when they originally recorded these shows in August, uh, the the actual dates, August 23rd, 1964, and then the following year, August 29th and August 30th, the intent was just to release this in the United States because UK buyers wouldn't want to buy the same songs again or something like that was the... Anyway, it never happened. It didn't get released till 1977.
1: And it depressed the hell out of capital executives because they had had huge hits and a lot of thanks. I, I I knew a lot about this album because I've had the the original album since I was four years old or five years old. Wow! But the Bruce Spizer book, um, the Beatles' Swan Song, where he gets into like the non-capital issues, taught me so much about this record. So much credit to the great Bruce Spizer. And in that book, I learned that because the Beach Boys and the Kingston Trio had live albums that were massive hits for Capitol executives mm. at the time when they recorded it both in 64 and 65 said um wow we can make so much money off a live beatles product and their company said no yeah each time
0: well i think the reason they said no is because the the quality wasn't up to snuff according to them like at least in 64 the the all the screams from beatlemania were drowning out A lot of the performances, the Beatles didn't have monitors back then. They couldn't Mm -hmm. hear themselves. So I think they felt that the performances were kind of sloppy and rock and roll or punk rock before punk rock really was going on.
1: Yeah.
0: I think that's why it took till 77. Again, same with the Star Club tapes from Hamburg, Hamburg that, uh, you know, that this stuff came out, you know. It became okay by 77 to put something out that had some some warts on it, to use that word.
1: Yeah, and this album... You know, it takes it takes a reputation for sounding worse than it is. For research, I went back and listened to the original pressing and yeah. then, listened, then listened to the, um, the 2016 remix. I mean, of course, the remix, which we'll get into, Giles Martin did some of the best work he's ever done. The remix sounds so phenomenal. But I'd forgotten the original from 77 doesn't sound unlistenable. It's not like the Star Club tapes. Yeah, there's lots of screaming, but you understand that and accept that as a part of Beatlemania. So it's not like the original was awful. No, no.
0: That said, I I don't really listen to this one that much, honestly, and I think it is because of the
1: screaming, you know? (laughs) The yelling and the screaming (laughs) and the girls and the loud.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, it was recorded, uh,
0: yeah, it was recorded on three track uh, at the Hollywood Bowl in Los Angeles. Which I got a chance to see a concert at the Hollywood Bowl, man. And it was awesome. It really was. Who
1: did you see there?
0: That's that's funny because it was The Who. You know him as The
2: Who. Everybody says who and you say, you know. Oh, amazing. (laughs) It's
1: funny because guess who I saw there was Paul McCartney. I took a a pilgrimage in 2010 to see Paul at the Hollywood Bowl. And I was sick as a dog. I was. Um, I had a flu. I actually left during uh, the end. Oh, I left during the closer because I wanted to beat the traffic. Because I was feeling so miserable.
2: Oh, but, wow! But yeah, I
1: went. I went to because I thought it'd be cool to see a beetle at the Hollywood Bowl. And you saw a beetle, two beetles at Dodger Stadium.
0: That's true. That's true. We've both seen Beetles, living Beetles in the uh, the City of Angels. TJ, yeah, man, dreams do come true.
1: Sure do, man. The only thing is don't water your plants ever again because y'all are out of of
0: water. Yeah, and be careful with the fires and the earthquakes and all that. But uh, speaking of miracles, I did want to quickly say for Miracle Chicken, you got to try Kenny Rogers Roasters. If you're in the Malaysia area, get that chicken. Yum, yum. Teacher says, I love you.
2: (laughs) What do you care about? I care about freedom. I, I care, care about my well-being. At Kenny Rogers Roasters, we want you to be healthy. I care, I care about, about my, my loved, loved ones. ones.
0: No, but uh, <laughs> you know we got to pay the bills. But I like this. Uh, I do like this record. I listened to it obviously in preparation for today when talking to it, and it has that punk rock energy that's really groovy. That you do. There's there is still a little Star Club in them. I think on some of these recordings
1: especially the 64 recordings and before we go track by track, Tony, I want to give my usual how did Capital manage to fuck this up talk. <laughs> Please. This, this was out of print. There's a the final cassette issue of this from 1992 in the States with the C4 catalog number and they have an Apple logo on it. It's on my Discogs want list. I've never seen one. I want one. A copy, the, the final cassette tape of this from 92. Oh, that's hilarious. Okay, it's-
0: well, there you go listeners. If, 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 if you've got not one of those TJ's willing to give you cold hard cash for that.
1: A 200, fuck 500. I don't care about my family, I'll give you a thousand dollars for a cassette. I'm just gonna look at
0: TJ must collect all the records.
1: Speaking of which, I'm holding in my hands my original copy of this of the Beatles Ohio Bulb with the gatefold.
0: Yes, that's right, it came with a gatefold sleeve. Can you open that up? I'd love to see that gatefold, please.
1: It's my gatefold, Holmes. <laughs> <laughs> my gatefold, my choice. <laughs> yeah, the gatefold's great. It, it's almost like if they did rock and roll music correctly. It's, yeah. memorabi- it's memorabilia from the first tour.
0: I love it. I love the pennant. I love the baseball-looking pennant that says Beatles on it.
1: It's pretty great. And pictures of all the buttons, a picture of them on stage, um, those Beatles USA kind of uh, magazines uh, that were given out at the time. Um, yeah, cool. so it's 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 really neat. And I also have a copy. I don't know why I have this. Thank you, Beatlefest Fest eighty six or something. <laughs> I have the British non-gatefold reissue on the Music for Pleasure label. Oh,
0: I know that label. I have a great animals record. The, the first animals album I ever bought was on MFP. And it's a yeah, great record.
1: It, it was EMI's budget label in <laughs> the UK. It's how they reissue stuff. And it's what's kind of cool is it's it's not a gatefold. Um but it's just neat to have it. They changed some of the typeface. It doesn't sound any different Um, And I have the 80s cassette of this as well, as I talk about the collection (laughs) of all this stuff. but
0: how come the spine's not blue on that? The spine's yellow, huh?
1: I think it was originally issued with a black spine. I don't think this ever got a blue spine, but when they started doing the clear cassettes, Capital, it looks like a Duran Duran cassette. They all of a sudden did the red and the yellow. Weird. And I think this may be the only... Beatle, there's a few there's a John Lennon. I think John Lennon Imagine has this kind of red and yellow spine, oh. but I think this is the only Beatles cassette that does.
0: That's funny. There you go. The,
1: <laughs> the
2: information
1: I have is useless and worthless. <laughs> one, one of the very first one day when uh, my my wife, when Carrie comes on the show, she will talk about it. The first time she came over to my house for non-married lovemaking. Oh. <laughs> What? I fell asleep because I had a case of the whiskey D. Um, <laughs> hey, whiskey D. <laughs> That's what Sam called Mr. Drummond.
2: Get away from there, buddy! We're all under arrest for the kidnapping of Sam McGill. Sam? Sam! Mr. D!
1: Oh, Mr. D! I'm Where are we going with this? Yeah. So I, I had just Amazon was kind of newish when Carrie and I started dating. And I had gotten a package from Amazon, and it was a. I had the cassette of Sergeant Pepper, came from Amazon, and it was one I didn't have. The final cassette issue that Amazon had in stock, uh, not like from some random seller. And Carrie said, oh, that's interesting. It's, this is 2007. She goes, what are you going to do with it? I'm like, I'm just going to look at it. <laughs> Put in the collection to look at it. And Carrie brings it up as a sign of like, I probably should have pulled the out clause back then. But now we have a kid and we're manacled together. Um, but so at any rate, this was out of print from ni- the 92 cassette issue until 2016. This was never remastered right. or remixed in its original form. It's yet another Top two chart, almost topping, Beatles' release from the 70s, a massive time when Beatlemania was new again. Paul had been on tour the previous summer. There were all these little bursts of Beatlemania in the 70s, and you couldn't buy it. Other than the 92 cassette up until 2016. So, thank goodness this has finally been not just put back in the universe, but also the remix by Giles Martin makes it, I think, some of his best work. He found a way to demix these songs and not take the audience out, but lower them in a way that was never done in the original. And that's fucking awesome to have it. I just amazed it took so long.
0: Yeah, and it wasn't, it was never on CD until the reissue. That's right. So, that's fun. So it's fun. Now we have it. It's groovy.
1: Can we talk quickly about the cover of the Ron Howard one? Do you know where the cover's (laughs) from, where they're standing and waving?
0: No, I don't, actually. Yeah.
1: May may I tell you, on uh, Live at the Hollywood Bowl, the photo is from August 22nd of 64, uh, as they were heading on a flight to Canada for their first Canadian gig. Why? Why do they have a picture of them waving, getting on a flight to Canada on Live at the Hollywood Bowl? I understand that it's the cover art for the Ron Howard film, the DVD, the yeah. movie posters all look like this. Yeah, But what the fuck? This uh, The Ron Howard movie, which is really, really good, I can do without, and now Sigourney Weaver on Babies in Black. Like, fine, <laughs> I get it. But yeah. I, I mean, I but I I <laughs> love Ron Howard, big long time Opie guy. I love love the music. I mean, I love Ron Howard. I, I love do too. Happy yeah. Days. Yeah, But this movie certainly pales in comparison to Get Back. But I just don't understand why Capitol or Calderstone or whoever put this cover together. Would, would do live at the Hollywood Bowl like this, at least. I believe it's the worst album cover in the official Beatles canon. I'll take real music and the weird 1955 rock and roll music <laughs> artwork. John, Remember John wanted to make artwork for it, in the, and, and yeah. you know, Capitol's like, no, we're, <laughs> we're, we're going to go back to the future. <laughs>
0: Yeah, curious choice. I'm with you 100% on that. The the cover looks like something that um somebody that uh, kind of knows how to do Photoshop could do. Like, come on. This is the Beatles, <laughs> yes. man.
1: It's the Beatles and Ron Howard. I mean, it's it's like a, a powerhouse director. I don't under, I don't understand it. And the information inside the booklet is wonderful. Uh, the obligatory essay from is it David Frick?
0: Oh, that guy. The guy with yeah. the funny hair. The the, uh, the, The guy uh, with the uh, the, pink Floyd uh, haircut That's
1: right Old funny hair rock (laughs) writer But with the obligatory, there's lines in here like, and in Ron Howard's seminal, powerful film, it's like kind of a half advertisement. Sure. But they also print the original liner notes that George Martin wrote. Oh, yeah, in the those are great. Issue, which are great. He refers to, like, uh, I got to read this real quick in the original and also reprint it here. My, uh, George Martin writes, My youngest daughter, Lucy, which I love, now nine years old, once asked me about the Beatles. You used to record them, didn't you, Daddy? She asked, Were they as great as the Bay City Rollers? <laughs> and it's that's not only a great line in 77, but how fun that they reprinted that in the uh, liner notes for the 2016 release is cool. Yeah,
0: that is great. If I may, TJ, because I love that quote, he answers that question. Probably not, I replied.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's so funny. George Martin also, the Fifth Beatle champion, was also hilarious. And he even, it's a little melancholy in the original liner notes, he signs off by saying, those who clamor for a Beatles reunion cannot see that it can never be the same again. This is mm. on a Beatles record. George Martin is sounding a death knell seven years after the breakup. Good luck to them. I'm very proud to have been part of their story. It almost puts a period on the Beatles. But he was right. Had they all four gotten
0: together, it would be different. It would be it would honestly it would be like the Threedles just with John there. With, with whatever John was doing, you know, at that time. That never happened.
1: It, they would have called them that. The Threedles with John. I think <laughs> what they were. The sticking point <laughs> yeah, of the reunion. Long
0: John and the Silver Threedles.
1: <laughs> the Silver Dolls. <Threedles. laughs>
0: Who's the Kanye West? So it was, uh, yes, over a period of three nights uh, total. One from 64, two from 65. You know who opened for them on August 23rd, 1964? Mm-mm. It was the Righteous Brothers and Jackie DeShannon.
1: That's awesome.
0: And then in 65, the openers were King Curtis Band, Sounds Incorporated and the Disco Tech Dancers. Whoa, (laughs) excuse me. (laughs) Playing showbiz pizza next week. Brenda Holloway and Cannibal and the Headhunters.
1: all the Headhunter sang that weird version of Land of a Thousand Dances, but who is Brenda Holloway? I don't know. I don't know. Let's drop her in. Hey, Brenda. <laughs> hey, Brenda. Thanks for stopping by. <laughs>
0: Hey, how much do you think tickets sold, man, in 1965? You could see the Beatles for $3. <laughs> Crazy. Or if you had the extra cash, you could get a nice seat for $7. Yeah,
1: and they, they went up a year later by like a few dollars a ticket. I mean, it's the, you know, of the many things the Beatles embedded, Tony, it's the headline stadium rock show. I mean, that's what's so, another great thing about the Beatles is they kind of helped develop the touring band Um Uh, knowing that they could sell tickets. I mean, granted, the shows were 18 minutes long.
0: Yeah, yeah. This one was 29, but yeah. Yeah, if they didn't like you, 18, if I recall, right? That's right. (laughs) Everything
1: would play a lot faster.
0: We we didn't like you would play faster.
1: Like that audience (laughs) in France where it was all teenage boys, and they're like, all right, and now Ringo's going to sing boys 10 times, and we're getting (laughs) out of here.
2: All right, folks It
0: was very strange because... uh, Suddenly, we had all, as you said, we had all these boys sort
2: of chasing us all over Paris. And hanging around the stage door, all seemed to be a bunch of slightly gay looking boys shouting, Ringo, Ringo, my girl
0: I Like I mentioned earlier, it was recorded on three track. The guy in LA who was kind of overseeing the whole thing was a dude named Voile Gilmore.
1: Voyle, by the way. Have you ever met anyone named Boyle? Voyle? V-O-Y-L-E, Voyle? He starred in the European remake of that Adam Sandler film.
2: <laughs> Virginia, Virginia. I put out a press
1: release concerning Happy Gilmore being thrown off the tour. I want to see a draft by 6 p.m. Golf has been waiting for a player like this. A colorful, emotional, working class hero.
0: Well, George Martin was there. He was kind of observing it, but he, he said because I was a foreigner, like, it sounds like he couldn't touch any, anything, so...
1: Wait, George Martin was a What? <laughs>
0: He was a foreigner, TJ. (laughs) I've seen
1: it before. It happens all the time, Tony.
0: You know, a lot of people told him at that time that he was also a super tramp.
1: Dreamer, you're nothing but a... I couldn't think of my prick enough. And
0: then then an old friend used to call him Thin Lizzie for some reason.
1: Great piano band. Guess who just got back today? Then, wild well up boys. If then they're gonna fight, you better fucking let them. Everything Lizzie song. They're going to fight. Let them. Yeah. I wasn't gonna stop them. I don't have a gun.
0: Yeah, I'm. I'm actually. I'm gonna get out of uh, Dinos here. <laughs>
1: Go to Dino's. Down at Dinos Bar and Grill.
0: Yeah, I'm gonna see what they got at the uh, <laughs> the Irish McDonald's or whatever. <laughs> Nick Bennegan's. Nick ben- Bennegan.
2: <laughs> no wonder I became a Bennegan's Blues Buster. We'll make you smile, because we got style. Bennegan's
0: Blues Busters. Oh, Lord. Well, so <laughs> what's funny, though, about these three-track recordings is, is that normally they would like have the instruments on maybe two tracks and the vocals on another track, but these were all mixed up, so get, the vocals were also on the same track as guitar, so it became this very... Difficult thing to mix later in 1977 when George Martin was asked by the head of EMI, um, Bosker Menon, I think is how you say it.
1: That's by (laughs) Menon.
0: By Menon Costanza. (laughs) By Menon. Mr. Menon asked George Martin in 1977 to like, hey, we've got these tapes. Can we finally put these things out? And uh, so it was really hard to get the screams separated from the music. And it was also hard to find a three track machine. Like what? This is the 70s. No one's on three track anymore. We've got like 24 just now. Just on cocaine. They, they somehow found a three track machine, but it was it started heating up, overheating and melting the tape. So like Jeff Emmerich was there and he had it like I guess they put a vacuum cleaner in reverse and like cooled the machine off that way. Sounds like a crazy caper. Anyway, they transferred it to 24 track and we got what we got in 77. I just thought that was like crazy. They had to like MacGyver, you know?
1: Yeah, the Jeff Emmerichs, the original MacGyver. Yes, <laughs> he, he is. He kind of is, man. We're going to make an
0: album that's going to have sounds on it and things on it that no one's ever heard before. And everyone looks at me and, I'm, and I know what I've got. I've got nothing, you know? So what I did, I stuck sticky tape on all the guide rollers of the tape machine. So when the tape went through, it just wobbled the echo into
1: or the piano into the sound into the chamber. Let's go track by track,
0: Tony. Let's go track by track. Uh, well, it starts off with an intro by
1: KRLA DJ Bob Eubanks. I think it's a couple DJs, right? You're right, there's two of Dick them isn't Dick Biondi there. there, too? I think is one he? of them is Dick Biondi. That would be amazing.
2: And now, here they are, the Beatles!
0: What I know is Bob Eubanks is the one who footed the dough for the, their 64 show. He footed the $25,000 that was the Beatles' fee, and he borrowed against one of his houses or something. He was a DJ, later, of course, went on to host the Newlywed Game and Card Sharks, <laughs> My <Yes>. favorite.
1: <laughs> that was a great show. That's one of those "Pray your home home shows from
2: Television City in Hollywood. Here's the host of Card Sharks, Bob Eubanks. Thank you. Thank you. How are you, Kay? I'm great. I'm Kay Wallace, and I'm from Clemson, South Carolina, home of William the Refrigerator Perry. All right.
0: <laughs> I don't know why I'm plugging this, but I, I, I you can go, Bob Eubanks. Is selling on his website the posters that are autographed by him from the Hollywood Bowl, the Beatles at the Hollywood Bowl. Really? Yeah, (laughs) that's like kind of seventy-five bucks or something. Of course
1: it is.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, I'm pretty sure that's him introducing them into "Twist and Shout," the the short version, the the minute and a half, the punk rock version of "Twist and Shout."
1: You like this one more? You like the short version, right? I like it.
0: Live, yeah. I still actually, I really like the studio recording. I love that take one, man. It's a moment. Yeah,
1: it's such a great rock performance. Maybe when a, who would who would think that the song that ended the sessions for their first album would forever be one of John's best vocal performances on record? While had a sore throat, yeah. And I guess the reason they do the short version live is because this was not easy for John to sing. I uh, mean, th- this kind of a screamer. It's I think the reason they did the short version. When Paul screams, yeah, right before the coda, the bomb, 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 and gets, Paul's constantly whipping the crowd in both 64 and both shows in 65 into a frenzy. This is like the beginning of Paul. I mean, Paul was a great performer from when the Beatles first took the stage, but Paul seeing the success of Beatlemania elevates his hamminess in such a great way that continues to this very day. I love hearing Paul's vocal yelps on this record, both sung and spoken.
0: Yeah, man, he is in his element here. I think he loves the stage. I think he was probably the happiest Beatle on stage. Maybe him and Ringo, you know.
1: Yeah, no question. And uh, they used part of this, you know, this part of this was used in the Beatles story, the uh, documentary record, the the two-album documentary, that was also out of print from, like, the early 80s through the Capitol box set in 2014. Not missed as much. Nobody really missed the Beatles story.
2: (laughs) never has been a group like the Beatles who could entertain and so completely captivate their audience.
0: It's a fun listen, though, if you, if you have it. That was one I remember I always saw it at the record store on vinyl, and I never bought it because I was like, I still have other ones to <laughs> I want to get. Like, this would be like my last resort purchase, and I never did buy it.
1: And listen, like, I love a Dave's Records, I love a Lori's Planet of Sound, I love a Reckless, but when you see, like, the Beatles story, Orange Capital version for $35, you're like, hey, guys, like, cool it. Yeah. (laughs) Make it 10 and be happy somebody's paying for it. There's
0: a hype sticker featuring 48 seconds of Twist and Shout live.
1: (laughs) If you like the Holly Ridge strings. (laughs)
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, it's yeah. And this is from the uh, August 30th, 1965 show, as is the next song, She's a Woman. They go right into it. I like this version a lot because you get to hear. I, I feel you get to hear George's lead lines. They're like higher in the mix, right?
1: Yes, George's lead lines. Uh, some of his best Carl Perkins impression on this tune. Yeah, on the studio version certainly, but live George is just so loose. And Ringo's drum pattern, which sounds a little. There's a few tracks where Ringo's drum pattern sounds noticeably different than the studio versions. <laughs>
0: There's no overdubs on this live record, man.
1: It's the anti-Wings Over America. There's no punch-ins.
0: <laughs> no right, because Paul <laughs> did vocal overdubs on Wings Over America. Yeah. Yeah. Other albums, that live albums that have studio overdubs, Kiss, Alive 2. People have argued whether Alive is a purely live recording
1: or somehow enhanced. The answer is yes, we enhanced it. The Flashpots were enhanced with recordings of Canons, because that's what they sounded like in person.
0: One of my favorites, the Ventures on stage, which uses the same loop of the audience. You hear the same whistle <laughs> over and over again. Genius! <laughs> it has two notes. That's why it's so distinctive. The whistle goes doo doo. <laughs> Live albums with no overdubs, Beatles at Hollywood Bowl. The first version of The Who's Live at Leeds. The Door is Absolutely Live, your favorite live record, TJ. James Brown, Live at the Apollo.
1: James Brown and the Famous Flame. By the way, real quick, before we move on from this Live at Leeds, that version of Summertime Blues is one of my favorite covers that's
0: good in my life, yeah Yeah, Live at Leeds is a great raw record If you can find the original version that just has the six songs on it And there's like hard cuts Like the audience starts cheering and they cut it off And go yeah, right into Substitute or whatever that's the one I
1: heard is. And I think maybe the original CD in the early 90s
2: had that
0: I don't think it had any overdubs. There's a weird bit in there where they use like the guitar going backwards during magic bus. That's weird, okay, but I don't think it's an overdub. Well, uh, Dizzy Miss Lizzy is uh, the next song they uh, put on there live. Now, this, TJ, is a composite. So they did a little, it's not an overdub, but they took performances from August 29th and the 30th from 65, and they put it into one take there.
1: I've known that for a long time, and I've yet to be able to hear that edit. That's some brilliant editing. There's no moment. It's not like the original She Loves You single where you can hear the, the splices. This is an incredible edit. You know, this one, I feel like John the John numbers in general, especially when he's singing older songs, slog a bit. and I'm not taking anything away from the incredible you know talent of John Lennon, but I feel like this dizzy Miss Lizzie, it, it's dirty like it but it, it's kind of got that swampy groove, but it just it doesn't cook. it's a little more languid and lethargic. totally than I'd like to hear this one. It doesn't sound like the cavern or hamburg.)
0: There is some banter, which is also nice. You know, we had some before where John calls an album, an LP, and then an album again.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, Paul asking if you can hear me and the screams
1: and stuff.
2: Would like to sing a song now? Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Yes! Good.
1: So great. Paul just fishing <laughs> for that response. I love it.
0: <laughs> and then uh, we get the A-side of a French single with the live version of Ticket to Ride.
1: God is my witness. As long as I've been collecting, it wasn't until I started doing homework for this episode that I knew that they released a single from this in France only. It is available on Discogs. It's um, yeah. "Ticket to Ride" back with Dizzy Miss Lizzy. Dizzy Miss
0: Lizzy on the B, yeah. And right.
1: I gotta have it if shipping wasn't twenty six dollars. <laughs> ah, oh, yeah, man. I want this one. I want it. I didn't know about it in a picture sleeve that mimics the uh, album. I never, I've never seen it. I didn't know about it. I gotta yeah, have it. That and the in the '92 cassette reissue of this, my life's not working out, Tony. The things I want, like some guys my age are like, I'm gonna save up for like a Tesla. Me, I'm like, I gotta have the '92 cassette of Hollywood Ball before I die.
0: And then Paul does that funny harmony. He's like screaming the harmony in the second verse. That's a yeah, fun moment.
1: And I think they leave out the second bridge. It's a shorter version of it, right?
0: Yeah, I think, I think you're right. And I, honestly, man, I don't miss it. I kind of like the short version. I always felt Ticket to Ride was a little long. I didn't need yeah. that bridge two times.
1: It, uh, uh, <laughs> James Brown, bridge, hit me two times. <laughs> uh. I don't know why she's run Four times. Uh. I'm in the bridge.
2: Was a confounded bridge?
1: I love the song. I love the feel of it. I love how how heavy it is. And on the album, this is their first current single. So the crowd goes crazy. Yeah. This thing was only a few months old.
0: Yeah. Yeah. This is like their newest material at the time. Yeah. Again, from 65. We have yet to hear anything from 64. We get Can't Buy Me Love. <laughs> Even though they're still kind of like, they're done with the whole Beatlemania thing by 65, they still turn in a pretty rousing performance, I say.
1: Yeah, because it's Paul at the helm. It's it's a True. Paul tune. I wrote it's already a golden oldie by August, late August of '65. This song's yeah. like an oldie, uh, but yeah. it, it, what I, my note for this: it's clear at this point this is it's a Paul album. His enthusiasm and showmanship carry the day? And uh, you know who knew? Fifty years later, he'd still he'd still be gracing us and using his energy to give us classics like "Save Us" and "Temporary Secretary Live." <laughs> Then we get to
0: hear from George. He intros the next song, which then we take a time warp into
2: 1964. Thank you. We'd like to carry on now with a newer song. I think it's on the new album over here, and it's a song called "Things We Said Today." <laughs> I will Things
0: now, definitely, this is a noticeably, I thought, more sloppy performance and more timid. They sound more timid in this performance compared to what we've heard up to now.
1: It's funny you say that because my note for this hearing this again was this is the first stunner in that it's noticeably different in how it feels from the original. Well, yeah, whether whether it's timidity or rushing through it because they're being timid, Ringo's pushing those eighth notes much faster than he is on the record. I actually timed this the original clocks in at two thirty five. This, including the intro and the fade out, is 219. So they're they're clearly pushing this With faster the than they are on the record. Yeah.
0: Wow. Yeah, man. Yeah. Well, that's, there is that live energy. I mean, I, most bands speed things up live for the most part, unless you're like jazzers or whatever. But like there's an energy that happens when you play live and uh, an excitement and it usually comes out in the tempo being increased.
1: Yeah, you can tell. And I feel like Paul's playing with dynamics on this, Tony, where, like, the verses are sung um, all a little understated. Then he screams, yeah, before the bridge. <laughs> yeah. The crowd goes nuts, and he goes nuts.
2: Yeah. And we will remember things we said to them.
1: I think there's an exercise in Paul working the crowd and then pulling back, and then this is this is Paul as Sergeant Pepper. <laughs> Literally and metaphorically. Yeah, with uh, <laughs> the the movie. Yeah.
0: And then Steve Martin was back there as the Doctor, going like, "I'm doing glove bits." And- <laughs>
1: Maxwell Edison, <laughs>
2: she tells Maxwell. They when the class has gone away? man. So
1: <laughs> <laughs> Steve Martin I love you. What are you doing? <laughs> well, they
0: really do the whole dynamic thing in the next song, Roll over Beethoven, they've got that down to the whole loud, quiet, loud thing they do and like towards the end of the song. It's like they almost invented the Pixies and smells like Teen Spirit, right. What?
1: I love that you just said that because this, this, to me, all of a sudden, I'm like, oh yeah, this is the best song because they don't <laughs> do that dynamic push and pull on the studio version. Not they at did. all. I have heard them do this live before, but it sounds so good, especially in the remix. Wings to Glowworm Dance Like a Spinning Top is like, is almost just George. Band drops out, and then they go at like a 12. Wings to like Glowworm and Dance
2: Like a Spinning Top.
0: Ringo just slaps. He's like slapping those the crash cymbals, turning the rides into crashes. It's great. Yeah,
1: yeah he crashes on the one throughout the uh, the bridge. The, if you feel it, like it. He's crashing the cymbal at the beginning of every measure. That's not on the original either. It's
0: cool, man. It's cool. And then you flip the record and you get, to me, like a, another Ringo punk rock performance. This, to me, is about as punk rock as the Beatles got on, you know, professional tape with uh, boys of, of all songs.
1: Yeah, this, I got a, a couple quick thoughts for you. This is not on the beginning of Side 2 on the re-release, Both. which is unfortunate, because that's how I remember it. On the original... They
0: have to, because of the extra tracks, yeah. Because of
1: the extra tracks, Side 1 closes with Hard Day's Night on the re- reissue of the vinyl. It's weird, because boys should be should be the Side 1 closer. Side 2 opener. Side, side, right, Side 2 opener is what I meant, thank you. Um, <laughs> I don't want to offend any of our listeners when I say this, but Ringo singing a song about boys, uh, I think now you can't play this one in Florida schools anymore. <laughs> I mean, the great thing with the Florida governor, if Ringo's gonna sing about boys, you gotta cancel the song. You gotta bring Pete Best back, or maybe Jimmy Nickel. <laughs> Maybe Andy White? (laughs) Floridians love guys with the last name of White. I wonder why. Especially when you say White. (laughs) Andy White? Come on over. We're going to Waffle House. But yeah, so my point is cancel Ringo, cancel Boys, and replace it with uh, Best of the Beatles, the best album. Um, The way Ringo yells the word all right, In the intro for this thing, I mean, Tony, you are a drummer. To sing this enthusiastically and to play this interestingly and rhythmically at the same time when the mics aren't even separated, this is a masterpiece. This might be Ringo's best moment on record.
2: Singing the song, Gold Boys, Ringo!
0: It's great. And you know what, man? There is a video for this that they use to promote eight days a week or whatever it is. Or no, the, the release of this Hollywood Bowl record. But I love this video. It's great. It's it's mostly Hollywood Bowl footage. But then they, they mix in a bunch of other fun stuff for like fans fainting and like the, the craziness, the fucking madness of this Beatle thing. <laughs>
1: I think the terms become so cliched we sometimes forget the mania of Beatlemania was a real thing. It totally was, It was man. legitimate mania. And then John introduces
0: the song from the black and white film.
2: It's the one that we made in black and white. We have only made two. One was black and white, and one was colored. Well, this is the black and white one, and it's the title the song from the film, la la la.
1: I love when he was la la la.
2: Great. And it's called Hard Day's Night It's been a hard
1: i like I feel like this is a song where you can really tell the difference in how they felt about touring from 64 to 65. The tempo seems slower. They almost sound more self-conscious. There, it's still a great read, but there's a juice missing in this uh, that's different from some of the 64 versions of Hard Day's Night that I've heard. And when Paul comes in for the first bridge especially, he ups the frenzy. So it's interesting that John's singing a little more restraint, and then in comes Paul to kind of kick things back. When I- Well, another thing different about this that uh, happens on this version, but I don't hear on the original, is the hard triplets, the second feeling, you holding me tight. Oh, that's when cool. When Paul does that bridge, they are these hard, definitive triplets that is such a neat moment.
0: That is fun. Yeah. And that's him varying the song up for himself, too, which is so great.
1: He's the original Bob Dylan. No song sounds the same twice. <laughs> Cut to, now the people in the middle.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay,
2: now just the men, just the fellas. Come on, boy.
0: Well, we get some fun banter between John and Paul where they thank each other. That's fun, you know.
2: Thank you very much, everybody. Thank you very much, everybody. Thanks a lot, Paul. Thank you,
0: John. Like, they were one of the first bands to actually talk to the audience and stuff and have this fun rapport on stage that included jokes and stuff, as opposed to just saying, like, we're this band and here's our next song, you know? And... They're having fun. They're just being themselves on stage. I think it's another element that everyone loves about this band.
1: It's one of the great things to that point, Tony, about what John's joke at the, what, the Royal Command performance.
2: For the people in the cheaper seats clap your hands. <laughs> and the rest of you, if you just rattle your jewelry.
1: That was cutting edge. I oh, mean, yeah, man. That was ballsy stuff. That's a, an experienced very... stage performer who can make a joke like that and pull it off.
0: Off with their heads. <laughs> You know, but any other group, Jerry and the pacemakers did that, man. (laughs) They'd get deported, man.
1: (laughs) (laughs) They'd they'd, they'd be on the ferry across the Mersey.
0: (laughs) Uh, So we get uh, Help. I like this version. It's great. Great. There's a sloppiness in this. You can feel the chaos in this version of Help. I bring it on. This is the live Beatles I dig.
1: Yeah, this is John singing the spirit of the song. I mean, th- these are yeah. the words. The words he wrote are coming out in this song and the performance of it. when I was younger, to quote a line from Borrowed Time, and I used to dream about what a Beatles reunion show might have sounded like. In my mind, that show opened with help. A Beatles reunion show in the 80s or the 90s or the 70s, to me, would have opened with this song. I've just always thought of the Beatles in their forties, taking the stage and John tearing into this to kind of kick off the show. Although it would probably, he probably make them do Attica state. <laughs> 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 he'd try to be like, fine, I'll do it. But we're only doing <laughs> album tracks from my seventies catalog.
0: No, that's awesome. I've never thought about that. I've never, I've, yeah, I've never gone into the fictional world with that, but that's a, that would be awesome. And it would make sense. Cause he was talking about reviving it during let it be. We saw Get Back. Yeah. Where he's talking about reviving help. Yeah.
1: I do a lot of Beatle fantasy talk, if (laughs) you want to hear it. I do a lot of Beatle fantasy fan fiction. Did I send you my blog, Massaged by Paul? It's only feet, I'm not a creep, hashtag only feet, hashtag wiki Wiki feet, that's yours for Rick Rubin, right? Oh, yeah. The
2: benefits of being barefoot.
0: Actually, I found this on a Beatles website recently, it's a Beatles blog. Did you know this, TJ? The Beatles met the Rolling Stones at the Hollywood Bowl, and that's when they decided to form the supergroup, Hollywood vampires. Uh.
1: That's exactly what happened, and they both covered "Come and Get It" together. <laughs> what do you What do you think of this version
0: of "All My Loving"? I wrote good. <laughs>
1: It is good. To me, nothing can compare to, we talk about the give and take of the audience, the version on Ed Sullivan, which I know is a smaller studio crowd, but the Beatles kicking in so fast on the Ed Sullivan version, the crowd going nuts and the Beatles going, oh my God, they're going crazy to me is a live version that just, that just tops everything. But I think this is a good one. Um, Paul screams. Yeah. Before the George solo. And one of my, uh, why I love all my loving Tony is to hear George do the harmonies with Paul in the last verse cuz in the on the record it is Paul right. double tracked so do you hear right. George and Paul you don't hear a lot of just George and Paul doing lead harmony throughout <laughs> yeah, the Beatles man. catalog so any live all my loving i love for that reason Go This gets a good from you. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? I feel
0: like, like, I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's good. It's good. I like this song. I like it. All right. It's not my favorite. You know what, man? There's a few songs. Like I would have rather have heard some of the ones that eventually made it onto the extras. I would have, yeah. I would rather hear you can't do that here or something okay. like that. That's fair. But that's me. You know, I'm not like USA number one record buyer. You know, I'm like deep cut dork, you know, so
1: <laughs> deep cut Johnny over there. No, me too. <laughs> That's why you only listen to Sirius XM's Deep Tracks. Yeah. Because if you like Marshall Tucker Band, you'll (laughs) like one you've never heard by them.
0: I like Deep Tracks. I also like Moist Tracks.
1: (laughs) You're And
2: Clown Tracks.
1: I like Moist Clown Tracks. (laughs) That was my favorite cereal for a while. (laughs) Comes already with milk. Why is it in a box, Mom? Eat it. It's on sale.
0: Just eat it. It's brown, but it's not chocolate. Just eat it.
2: And I'm for rainbow.
0: Now, one that I really do love hearing live always is one of my actually favorite early Beatles songs. She Loves You. I love this song. I still think I, I love it. I still think I love it. I still love it. Yeah, man, it's great.
1: Yeah, it's all right. I still prefer the live Billy Joel version, the (laughs) the rehearsal, just in terms of energy and keyboard keyboard sound. (laughs) Um, No, I mean, this is amazing. What a great read on this. And it's funny, because John refers to it as coming out, quote-unquote, last year. But this didn't become a hit in the States until 64. I mean, Swan released it in the fall of 63. 63. And eight eight people bought it. It (laughs) wasn't until I Want to Hold Your Hand did so well that then people re-found this song. But yeah, I mean, the, this is such a great read. I love the guitar playing in this. They clearly weren't tired of this one by then. I, and live versions, when Ringo does the wild fills at the end over the major six harmonies that the band is yeah. singing, Ringo always ends this with a very kind of showpiece, kind of arhythmic, uh fill, just kind of banging around a bit that's neat.
0: It's the last song on the original album. It's called Long Tall Sally. It was a it was their closer. It's a it's a Paul Screamer. Bald headed Sally, he likes to say. It's great, man.
1: Yeah, this is a great one. Although Paul says this one was recently on one of our albums over here. Say second album, Paul. What are you afraid of? <laughs> Well, they I think can't Dave going to get pissed. They, I love they yeah. never knew what, what songs the albums were on in the States.
0: Why should they? It's We can't figure it out, you know? <laughs> like it, We have to like get a book to figure it out. <laughs> get them one of those big books on stage. So they could, oh, this is on Beatles 6.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's V.I.
0: Be, oh, sorry, yeah, Beatles V.I.
1: V.I., you <laughs> traitor. I'm not a darling baby, darling. When this ended the original release of this, Tony, because obviously this ended their live career other than The Rooftop. This is the last song they played at Candlestick Park. So there yeah. was some nice poetic justice to this ending the um, original album. But it doesn't end there,
0: TJ. Because the reissue, you get four more tracks. And there were others, but these were four that they gave us. I'm glad they gave us four at least, right?
1: Yeah, and they're all they're all great. You mentioned you can't do that. Paul's bass is super heavy. It's a great read of it. Maybe not as good as that the Melbourne one that ends the yeah. uh, the anthology.
0: Yeah, that, the, that one uh, is the so broadcast.
1: Good. It's so
2: good.
0: Yeah, it's a little faster. I dig that. I guess they didn't like L.A. We love it. We love it. No, they loved L.A. Actually, they wanted, they specifically asked to perform at Hollywood Bowl or demanded in a way. They're like, we only play Hollywood Bowl. And that's how Eubanks got it. Because someone else was going to do them at the Coliseum or something like that. But uh, they wanted Hollywood Bowl.
1: They weren't allowed to rock acts at the Hollywood Bowl before the Beatles, I don't think. Probably not. No.
0: No. Who would it have been? You know. it's like
1: uh, you remember all the for you Chicagoans out there you remember like 20 years ago that what do you mean Tracy Chapman's playing Ravinia <laughs> they, uh, they that the, the crowds uh, Z- Ziggy Marley's playing Re- we uh, sweetie we need to call somebody it's <laughs> only for Bernstein production
2: <laughs> remember
1: there was outrage when like the Beach Boys at Ravinia <laughs> yeah. rock music it's ridiculous <laughs> this isn't like 93 by the way Craig up the beach Now, I
0: don't know why they didn't include this. I Want to Hold Your Hand from 64. I mean, granted, the intro sounds different. Maybe they didn't have the technology to clean it up to how they got it in 2016 or whatever. But I don't know, man. I've always loved the live version if I want to hold your hand. Come on.
1: And this is a great one. My first notice: how was this left off the original? George Martin, What is Up, is what I wrote, because the, it's their signature American song. It, you yeah. know, it, def, it defines, as much as All My Loving was the first thing out of the gate on Ed Sullivan, this is the song that came to number one and brought them all the acclaim. I'm so glad it's been restored. Me too. And you know who's the most glad
0: is... Um, Marsha Albert. (laughs) The original. The original. The the 17th Beatle, Marsha Albert, according to our... (laughs) So Marsha Albert of Dublin Drive of Silver Spring has the honor of introducing something brand new and exclusive
1: here at WWDC.
2: Ladies and gentlemen, for the first time on the air in the United States, here are the Beatles singing, I Want to Hold Your Hand.
0: George gets a bonus track with Everybody's Trying to Be My Baby from the 65, August 30th show. I love that wave of screams during the solo. That's real fun.
1: The whole thing's fun. I feel like it begins and ends with slightly different chord voicings. The chords at the beginning and the ending are different than the original and different than a lot of other live versions I've heard. Whether it's just a choice or fingers were just on, on the wrong frets, it's yeah. interesting to hear him play a little differently in this.
0: And one that was a, a single, the B-side of the Real Love single in 96, Babies in Black.
1: Yeah, but this is weird because it's with a different intro. The intro on in the Babies in Black single must have been from the 29th of August, because it's the same reading of the song, but the Babies in Black single has a different, different intro. Still only available. Those Free as a Bird and Real Love B-sides have not been officially issued on anything.
0: No, you just got to get the CD or whatever, right?
1: Yeah, those CD singles, yeah.
0: Yeah. Or the vinyl, I guess, right? Was there a vinyl of it?
1: There were vinyl for each, but they didn't have four tracks. I think oh. they only had one B side track. That like Free as a Bird, yeah. I think, was just Christmas time is here again, maybe. Yeah. And Real Love was just Babies in Black. <laughs>
0: And that's it. You know, there were a few songs that were not included. If I fell, I feel fine, I want to be your man, and I'm down, which does appear on the purple chick bootleg of this but it's funny because they get off like meaning like that they get off and have fun they get off rhythm it's sloppy as hell i love it
1: yeah you're right about that purple chick edition was the only kind of unless you went out and bought the a vinyl the only way to hear this for a long long time much respect to the purple chick people and Dr. Ebbets as well are also like yes the, those got a lot of us through the early 2000s I will tell you
0: I love Dr. Ebbets and I use his soap in, in the shower it's it, uh, it's got all the writing on it with the bible
1: I built three American soap factories i become the servant of God what causes all the trouble and deserves the past 2000 years is a lack of of rabbis, the failure of rabbis to teach every 12-year-old boy on God's spaceship earth the moral ABC. (laughs) Is that what it is? It's Bible writing? Oh, yeah. You've done Bible writing, right? Want to read some right now? (laughs)
0: Let's do it. From the Beatles Bible, Rolling Stone called the Hollywood Bowl a loving tribute to the Screaming Girl fans who drown out the band in these 1964 65 shows. Those girls were the heroes of the rock and roll frontier, and they deserve to be the lead instrument on a Beatles album of their own.
1: It's a great review. It is. Also, Drown Out the Band was the original title for The Last Waltz. <laughs> When they heard how loud the arrangement of Caravan was. Um, This album sold a ton of copies and was a big part for someone like me getting into the Beatles around the time this came out. This came out when I was three. But we had the A-track in the car when I was five, And then I eventually got the vinyl a couple years later. I I love this record and to hear it cleaned up. It is one of the greatest contributions Giles Martin has ever made to the Beatles. And it honors his father. Who's the reason this thing came out originally. It's, it's, it's a great album for a great many reasons and the only ever officially released live Beatles record.
0: Thank you so much for listening. This is the untitled Beatles podcast. If you like what you've heard, uh, subscribe to us, write us a review, Enjoy us uh, wherever you live. (laughs) I hate, I don't know how to do these things, but. But, yeah.
1: Why why are you discriminating against our listeners who are not alive? (laughs) Hey, uh, uh. I'm Tony Mendoza. And I'm a better man. Untitled Beatles
0: Podcast. Like and subscribe. I love Joe Walsh. I like Joe Walsh, too. Um, my buddy, though, when they did that um, Hotel California Live unplugged, and there's a really long one of those annoying, like, crowd whistles.
1: Yeah, is that him?
0: That's my friend J.J. Jeffries, who is a program director of KCLB Radio in Coachella, California. <laughs> and then later went on to KUPD in uh, Phoenix. So <laughs> there you go, J.J., that's for you man.
1: Can I share something with you I've never told anybody out loud before? Sure. On the Ringo 2001 concert album with the (laughs) all-star band, I went to go see that show in Rosemont, and the recording is from the Rosemont show. I am 90% sure that when the (laughs) intro for Take the Long Way Home begins and somebody screams (laughs) all the young dudes, that that's me. (laughs) I'm 90% sure that is me.
0: Oh, I love it. Wow. TJ Shanoff in the wild. Untitled
2: Beatles podcast exclusive. Exclusive.
0: Get moist.